Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, I have invited back one of our guests from before, Kirk Johnson, who is a renowned author, scientist, and so interestingly, former monk, who is the leader of what we refer to as the interspiritual movement, because that's the name of a book that he wrote and became very well known for, because it helped to really kind of rock the world of religious authorities and many others, bringing to bear a whole new way of thinking about what exists in our lives as spirituality that is in many, many ways separate and apart, distinct from the um, institutions of religions, while at the same time having resonance within each one, really. So it's a very interesting space that Kurt has helped to formulate and shape, and we've all been relating to it, many of his colleagues and friends ever since. Uh, Kurt has uh, quite a, a background in comparative religion, his work in science at the Museum of Natural History and elsewhere, with a PhD in evolution, ecology, systematics, and comparative biology, to name just a few. Well, now these days, Kurt is doing a tremendous amount of work in bringing together different groups, organizations, forming kind of a grand interdisciplinary, um, planetary, interplanetary almost, type of coalition, and is spearheading a series of different really interesting projects and events just coming up in the next few months that we'll be speaking about as it may relate to our audience and how people can even possibly get involved and certainly tune in in different ways to what will be going on. And it's all in the name of, well, what can I say, one of my favorite subjects, the idea of creating a better world, a world in which our evolutionary possibilities are at the forefront instead of in the background, and we are pushing forward to activate our highest human potential, you know, having to do with our prefrontal cortex, having to do with our heart as brain, having to do with our gut as brain and uh, bringing our marshalling, our personal and collective energies forward into the formulation of an entirely different type of society that's based on, how do I put it, love, compassion, cooperation, friendship, amicability, uh, trust, many of those attributes that we find unfortunately sadly lacking in the current condition of our society, by and large, with uh, just numerous, numerous exceptions, of course. But uh, we're talking about creating this sort of as the hundredth monkey effect, that is, where this is the general ebb and flow of our society, not the exception. So on that note, I want to bring Kurt Johnson call and into the dialogue so we can continue together. So, Kurt, welcome back to A Better World. A pleasure to have you, uh, my friend. Yeah, Mitchell, thank you so much. It's really great to be here. <clears throat> Absolutely. So glad. And during this holiday season, we are getting a chance to celebrate together a little bit here on the A Better World Airwaves. Um, 
so many of the things that you've been bringing forward as I made reference to generically. Uh, I would love, Kurt, if you would just kind of expand a bit on some of the the overall purport of what it is you're doing, and of course I'm part of it as well, and uh, make reference, if you would, to Voice of America as well, and the great work you've been doing on media, as well as the overall sense of and sensibility of of the work of Unity Earth, etc. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's quite a plate you've laid out there. Well, I think you know probably <laughs> just as you would have expected. Ready, ready for the banquet, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. I think you know the best way to kind of roll it into a nutshell is that that large collective that you're speaking of, and we're only one of a number of collectives that are emerging globally on this whole front of all the different kinds of transformational work and all the areas of of, of uh, the world that need change, whether that's from the 17 uh, development goals at the UN or the 21 spokes of Barbara Marks Hubbard or all the areas that we mm-hmm. know need attention because the world is, is going global. Inevitably, it's going multicultural. Inevitably, it's going actually uh, interdisciplinary, inevitably, because the understanding uh, of everyone today, and particularly younger people, is that everything is obviously interconnected. Everything is profoundly interconnected. Nothing is separate. Yes. And uh, you know we see that it, it, literally in every realm of inquiry, whether it's science, you know, spirituality, mysticism, technology, uh, governance, social justice, the environment. Everything is is interconnected, and that might not have reared its head so uh, obviously in years past where we could keep things siloed or we could push things aside because there was a way we could kind of get rid of them or ignore them. So our particular collective that, uh, Mitchell, you've been doing a lot of work with and a lot of the events and initiatives that we may talk about uh, right now are, are is from what's called Unity Earth, which is very easy for people to find at www.unity.earth. That's www.unity.earth. And what you'll see there is just pretty much like what um, what Mitchell said when he opened the call, just kind of the smorgasbord of a thousand different things going on that are addressing this need to, to coordinate, interdigitate, and cooperate across all the ways that, that human beings are engaged uh, on the planet. Because obviously if we don't do that, then we're in for... Uh, for trouble relative to facing all the challenges that uh, that we're actually facing, so we're all a part God, of that. Yes, God, yes, absolutely. So here, let me ask you this kind of um, anatomy of a group kind of question, Kurt. Um, on one hand, you are coalescing coalitions, um, for a phrase, and uh, of similar mind, of similar values, of similar. Uh, Purport, as I kind of said before, and at the same time, it's interesting because it's a group of people, but we people exist in different kinds of communities to make a difference in one way or another using the existing means. Some of it is through when it comes to you know things you and I have been involved in through the United Nations. Sometimes it's through educational context. Some such as events that we've both been part of or helped to orchestrate where we get to talk to a lot of people. 
usually, though, that's uh, speaking, you know, preaching to the choir. Um, it always feels good, but we're not necessarily reaching a lot of new people. Uh, that is, people who are not necessarily of similar mind. Another venue, of course, is the body politic itself, where there's a coalition of people that are seeking to influence policy and legislation as a means of sort of uh, increasing uh, and making more valuable a more responsible kind of um, conversation about what might be possible in our world instead of the more dumbed-down version that we've been served on golden platters over time. You know, so I'm just laying out a few of the different venues where people coalesce and people seek to make a difference. Uh, how would you say what you're doing um, relates to any of those perhaps different venues? Well, you know, the big picture actually is actually kind of profoundly simple, and that is that anything we look at is really across the spectrum of who we are as human beings and what we experience as human beings in the deepest yes. part of our inner nature, the deepest part of our subjective, uh, just gut-level knowing, everything from feeling to mysticism to intuitive experience to just the experience of consciousness, the experience of being, everything that's mm -hmm. inner, and that's in a gigantic uh, dialectic or yin and yang with uh, with all the worlds of the outer, everything that's external and everything that involves information and science and technology and testing and repeatability and everything that goes into building all of our contraptions and machines that rely on objective knowing and on factual evidence and on uh, evidence-based reality. And we're um, actually Evolution Institute said this in a statement two years ago that all human beings are wired for both of those. It's not a mm -hmm. matter of choosing anymore, which is primary. Um, I think all of us have seen like some of the movies about Albert Einstein or uh, try to think uh -huh. the other person, oh, Stephen Hawking, that uh, yeah. even though they were so brilliant and doing all these amazing breakthrough things in science, they were also falling in love and falling uh, into all the happenstances and circumstances that come also from that subjective world. And, uh, yeah. and they had a bit of success yeah. and failure in both worlds, like as we all do. So yeah. what, the reason I mention that is that if you really look at everything that we're doing, and by the we I mean things that you're involved in and that A Better World is involved in as a part of this coalition, we really uh, lay out this combination of direct experience, which is what the events are about. They're about a direct experience of music and communication and being with other people and actually feeling the, the vibration of those people celebrating and understanding interconnection and through the arts really feeling beauty and, and depth. And we yeah. know that that's a, a, an experience just in one time, you know, right here, right now, at that moment. So the other thing we balance that with, which you're also a part of and which this radio program is a part of, is constructing the larger narrative, constructing mm -hmm. the larger story through all kinds of media, from magazines to video to film to, to radio, that tell the larger long-term, long-shelf-life story of that shorter-term direct experience. Because the only way that we'll ever have a world that really is serving 
everyone in the best way is if we have a narrative that actually is embracing and welcoming all of that diversity, not only diversity in kinds and types and experiences, but but diversity just in the whole realm of, of how we experience uh, you know reality itself. So uh, we're a part of that, and it's interesting too, as you're very well aware of, with um, Marianne Williamson's thinking about running for president and particularly you know becoming mm-hmm. enough of a, a mainstream candidate financially to to get the results of what that would mean and and actually what that would mean going back to something you said in the introduction is reaching more people because the values of the transformational community or the community that's based on the wisdom traditions would be Mm -hmm. in in the game it would be in the game just like when al sharpton ran and he didn't plan to win but it got the the world as experienced by people of color into the conversation yes. and into the conversation in an enfranchised way. And I think that that's, you know, even the fact that Marianne's thinking about doing that and, and has a lot of support is actually um, a reflection of the fact that that the transformational community has far more power in the global dialogue than we sometimes realize and that we have to we need to further traction that power and further embed that yes. that influence and you know that's what your whole career has been about with with especially working with media and with new yes. new ideas that's a very good point kurt uh in fact as a result i have interviewed uh, alternative uh, presidential candidates, um, including a woman, by the way, that most people don't even know. Her name was Dr. Esther Harder. She had a, a PhD or an EDD, I think it was, in uh, education. I think she was from Ohio. And this is going back 20 years. This is going back to the year 2000. People didn't even know she was uh, running. But uh, I've interviewed uh, John Hagelin a few times of the Natural Law Party and um, Rocky Anderson of the Justice Party, who was a real candidate, by the way, who had been the uh, former mayor of Salt Lake City. So he had had real-world political experience. He was an awesome pro bono lawyer for humanitarian causes and was uh, an environmentalist of the level that he reduced the carbon footprint of the entire city of Salt Lake during his tenure by over a third. So um, major players, and I actually interviewed uh, Mary Ann Williamson when she was running for the House of Representatives out in California back uh, just in the last cycle or so. Oh, man, Dennis Kucinich and others and others. But the point being really is I'm thrilled to hear that she is thinking of taking this up. I think it's great. But what I'm really looking at here is how um, how this energy field that is developing uh, over here with Unity Earth, with New York Convergence, with our group, uh, Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences also, a number of these interfacing, interplaying groups are building an energy, like you were saying, um, that comport a certain set of values, but will then be translated into an actual grassroots political position. Because it's sort of like we can 
sort of play with ourselves over here a certain amount, but unless or until we translate into mainstream power moving action, we're not going to be able to have the same kind of effect. Your no, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, what everybody needs to remember is like all of the great recent revolutions that sustained themselves, let's say like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the the, uh, yes. the fracturing of the Soviet Union and the rising of the independent countries in the Eastern, in Eastern Europe and, and other examples, there's absolutely no doubt that the grassroots groundswell of a different worldview at street level can actually have an effect. And we saw it in our country, maybe in the wrong way, by uh, mm -hmm. the whole coalition that Trump marshaled which would be, uh, you might say, at the Coalition of World Wrestling Federation plus NASCAR plus the Confederate flag plus uh, guns yes. plus, you know. But that, uh -huh. that is a certain mindset or a certain worldview that yes. he certainly demonstrated you could coalesce them in a way that not only had power at the ballot box but had power that even the pollsters did not see coming that mm -hmm. it was such a groundswell that even the polling of it by conventional ways didn't expose how how strong it really was. Now, that in a really way true. we could say, at least from our you know point of view of higher values, was from the shadow side, but it definitely shows that uh, it can happen. And what it is that's even more important is that it's it's a reflection of something that a lot of people may not know about, you know about it. It's very new just since about 2015. And that mm -hmm. is that mainstream science uh, has decided that uh, that natural selection, which has always been portrayed as survival of the fittest and that mm. therefore all of politics and all of business and all of economics is all about competition and shark tank and over my dead body and, <laughs> and that. Actually, mainstream yeah. science now absolutely mainstream says that natural selection, which they now call the two-level view, changes from choosing the best competitor at the, at the lower levels to changing the best cooperator as you go up to the higher levels. Now, what that means, yes. and here's why it's relevant, is that what cultural evolution is wanting to choose is the best cooperator. Now, what's interesting about that is that once you move into cultural evolution, Natural selection is no longer about who survives to reproduce. I mean, at the lower levels of the biosphere, natural selection is defined by who gets to reproduce, and therefore that, that way of being takes over the gene pool. But in cultural evolution, and this goes back to our entire conversation, it's whose idea wins out, whose idea gets the most backing in order to become the worldview that propels a culture, propels a society, and so on. Now, we've seen such incredible examples of that. It's what happened in Europe with the Nazis, where you had a completely nefarious worldview that actually attracted millions and millions and millions until about 90 million people died, and we learned the hard mm -hmm. way. But you saw the same thing also with the, with the Trump coalition, that if an idea catches on, it actually propels what happens in reality. Even yes. the reality that's a part of the Trump era, which is the counterfactual world, where people don't even <laughs> feel they need to tell the truth about anything, and yes. as long as some people will believe their untruth, 
that's that's just as valuable or as powerful as what truth might be. Now, that's a dangerous game. That's a dangerous, sure. dangerous game. But it shows, it demonstrates that 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 this drive of where cultural evolution is a matter of conscious choice. So the bottom line then, uh, you know, for people like listening to this program or doing type of work that you and I are doing and everybody in Unity Earth and Shift and Humanities Team and all the other groups that you could could name, is that if we don't take the responsibility through every means possible to shift worldview and the way people act to these higher values of interconnection, mutuality, compassion, co-creativity, fairness, justice, go through the, through the whole list, then obviously mm-hmm. we're going to end up in a different place. And, and so yes. you know, it really demonstrates that, that that mandate to help make that happen is, is truly there. Now, it may be like, like when it comes to political parties, because of gerrymandering and everything else, it's a stacked deck, very difficult for any third party to become enfranchised yes. in our system. But that's in yes. politics only. It's not, it's, it, that's in the ultimate cause of who votes where. But in the proximate cause, which is, in other words, what, what gives them the idea that they vote for, which would be what Trump did, Trump, Trump definitely showed that proximate cause, which is an idea, can actually mm-hmm. result in ultimate cause because he got elected. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. The you know, proof it, of it the pudding, happened. right? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and therefore yeah. it shows that you know, that coming from the point of view of any set of values or what one scientist calls worldview, what mm-hmm. you know, uh, tends for you to act in a certain way, is all it's all out there on the table to be done. So the the, the card game is an open card game, so we should be in it, and uh, we should be in it to win it. <laughs> yes, I agree. Well, this is what there's an irony in here, but I'd like to just go back to kind of um, some content regarding Trump and his winning, because that could really be said to have been trumped. Kurt, meaning uh, not to go into any depth about the whole conversation about the Russian influence, possibly even Chinese influence, but other influences, including bad counting, bad voting machines, uh, you know, what did we have in the uh, dangling um, (laughs) back in the year 2000, right, dangling chads, right, you know, all of that level, uh, plus last-minute interventions, interestingly, by Comey, which yeah, yeah. really dampened things for Hillary, um, yeah. I, that seems so lost in the narrative. I don't understand yeah, it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely that aside, right. And there's actually, there's but actually if you really look at it, yeah. right, right, exactly. But if you look at well, all of I, this, it could be that... that that he really didn't win by the American people, but he won because of the way things are counted in electoral colleges and things like that. But to me, in a way, what is even more corroborating your point of view about how his narrative gained control, if you go back to what the Republicans had to say about Trump during the nomination period, and even afterward, they couldn't, by and large, stand him. And some of the vitriol was nasty. But once he won 
all of a sudden there was this flip and they decided to go on to you could say the dark side with him and engage in that you know you could call it reptilian type of politicking um yeah, no, you're to right. me, that so, actually you know, means even more excuse me yeah and and yeah and so e- even see what's interesting about this 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 whole last narrative that you were laying out there is even if there were certain things that interfered unfairly particularly from the russian side those were all things that were about swaying opinion everything that was done with all these false group on false groups on social media and false uh, calls and false news and all of that was again all in the opinion game that was playing a counterfactual opinion game which is what propaganda yes. does but again what yes. it was doing was swaying just enough so if you factor That's in right. that he lost the popular vote but if you factor in the electoral college and then what comey did just enough to have what seemed impossible happen yes. and then the other result is because people all fall in line with regard to power and the end justifies the means and well we'll at least get our you know get our justices so we'll put up with everything else and at least get the judges we want and you know blah 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 um yes that again is just a very normal human trait to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing right. now and I think this is what really kind of op- if we're just continue on the Trump conversation for a little bit is that yes with all of the recent things legally and then with the extremely unfortunate decisions made with regard to the Khashoggi killing and then also now with Syria then you're mm-hmm. getting a breaking apart of these people who were willing to go along with him in the sense the end justifies the means or at least we'll get some yes. of what we want so yes. there may be a fracturing now that is saying, well, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't want to kill the patient, you know, we might want yes. to go along with, some, but if it gets so bad that that there might be serious consequences, that that's where you've seen a lot of people who had started to cow to him, like Lindsey Graham, and others have then suddenly turned around again, or Bob Corker, and saying, wait, mm-hmm. no, this is this is too much. And yes. and I think that's a deeper issue. In other words, that they're actually addressing the issue that this is likely an unstable, mentally not right person who's actually yes. operating from serious narcissistic personality disorder and other <laughs> clinical, you know, clinical psychological traits, and that's dangerous uh, in, in any situation in with, with power. That's yeah, right. so that's right. And this is who we've aligned ourselves with? Well, they have a comeuppance themselves. It's very true. But, you know, I know. Well, thanks for, you know, walking us through that whole scenario. And I, I wholly, you know, concur that we're, uh, well, you know, as I love uh, Jesse Jackson's line, uh, we may have all taken different ships here, but we're all on the same boat now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, boy, does that resonate. But um, Yeah, and the, and so, the other thing that it portrays, too, is that when push comes to shove with human beings at the individual level globally, when crises or difficulties come, they either run toward separation or they run toward unity. And we have so much mm-hmm. experience with separation 
that probably yes. easily a good 70 to 80 percent run towards separation, circling the wagons, more siloing, my group against yours, protect me against you, because that's kind of where we're at in, a, in evolution. And yet there's this other group, which would be the transformative movements and people on our end who are saying, no, yes. you... You run toward unity. You run toward cooperation. You yes. run toward Community. something that will work exactly, and that that actually is the higher standard and the healthier standard, which I think is obviously yes. true. But it's yes. just something that is hard for people who just, let's say, aren't at the level of courage that a lot of the people we work with are. Uh, it's just yes. hard for them to go that go that direction. So. Yeah, it's really true. Well, let's factor in that, uh, you know, neuroscience suggests that we do have a negative bias in the brain, which has us first uh, reference our reptilian function of self-protection yeah, and yeah. doubting, doubting uh, external data until yep. proven that we're safe. But even yeah, if you no, factor I, 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 that... Yeah, totally, yep. Right? Okay. Yeah, and the, and so what's, you what's can... in... Please, I was go ahead. What's interesting about that is is Wayne Teasdale, when he wrote The Mystic Heart, in which he named inner spirituality, the founder of inner spirituality, which is basically saying that all of the world's spiritual experiences go toward understanding interconnection and oneness. And that's actually yes. the highest goal. But when he said that we have to understand that the definitive revolution is the awakening of our species, that yes. just nails it. Because you have to imagine an advanced primate on this planet that would get out of that reptilian connection, which takes safety first at the level of me against you, and yes. moves to the higher view that's possible for where we are in our other brain functions, and mm -hmm. awakens and says, "No, uh, we're going to, we're going to go toward a world that works for everybody. We're going to run toward unity. We're not going to run toward separation." That would take that revolution exactly. in consciousness. Now, there's many people who oh, think boy. that that's what's going on right now. Yes, indeed. So it's instead of I'm against you, I am you, <laughs> or exactly. at least I am with you, I am by your side. We're in this together, and as we all talk about, we're going from an I consciousness to a we consciousness. And right, of course, exactly. you know, you and I have been doing this for a long time, as well as working on the micro level of. Uh, I know with you know work I do with my clients and groups and classes uh, and workshops are really largely about coming I call it you know coming forward in your life which is moving forward from the reptilian into the cerebral cortex to the prefrontal cortex into the the heart brain finally you know so it's a movement forward and that's what we could really properly define as progress. We're progressing through, if you want to think about it, as the chakras or from the brain stem forward and, you know, make the, uh, you know, the brain story. All of it is part and parcel of the same kind of forward movement and evolutionary movement that you and I always are 
talking about. So it's got to be happening on a micro level as well as on the macro. And this is the, the space you and I are both excited to buy and frustrated with <laughs> because yeah, it never seems like it's going fast enough and yeah, among enough yeah. people, you know. Yeah, and we're actually caught up in a grand process, at least on this planet, that at, would ask us to assess if there are civilizations out there, if we imagine or we certainly write science fiction about them, of advanced civilizations who made that definitive revolution away yes. from just the egoic silos to the caring for all. So if we say that, or we can even imagine that there are intelligent species on other planets and other civilizations that made that sure. transition so that it was a civilization of goodness, we can actually yes. ask, you know, whether it's possible that this particular species, which is, uh, you know, descended from from uh, the ape lineages, the primate lineages, and on up through our genus Homo, to to be to to make that defend make that to have that definitive revolution, which goes from yes. as Ken Wilber says from from I to we to us to all of us, and that yes. that then becomes actually the new normal for an actual planet. So what's interesting yes. about that is that David Sloan Wilson, the scientist who you're aware of, sure. but to, for the people in the audience who may not know, so the yes. major mainstream scientist who's been the one of the voices of this revolution in, in redefining natural selection that nature selects first for competition but ultimately for cooperation. And as soon as you have groups or hierarchies of groups, it always selects for cooperation. So everyone's probably also heard of Edward O. Wilson or E.O. Wilson at Harvard, mm -hmm. who's the founder of sociobiology. So the two Wilsons, and they're not related, but they've redefined now yes. sociobiology in the context of of, of the, uh, the cooperative model. And so what's interesting is that in David Sloan Wilson's new book, which comes out in February, um, he actually says that Teilhard de Chardin's cosmology, many of you listening will know that that's the Jesuit paleontologist okay. and priest who spoke of us reaching the omega point, reaching the perfection of our species as an enlightened, caring, compassionate, to use new age terms, light being. Uh, yes. David Sloan Wilson is actually saying that, that that in the context of what we understand now about cultural evolution, that we have this potential that actually is is probably the accurate cosmology. And what's funny is that on the cover of his book is an arrow made up of people. All of the pixels in the arrow are people, and they're all in this arrow that's moving toward this higher and higher potential. Now, what's interesting about that is that's mainstream science saying exactly what the mystic in Teilhard or in all of the wisdom traditions yes. has talked about, the, you know, what what Wilbur calls the escalator, the, the, the raising of humanity to these higher yes. and higher levels of development, and that the feeling that that actually is an accurate and real statement about what's going on in in our evolution, even in these dark times. So yes. that that in itself yes. is a... You know, because so for so long, science was saying, well, uh, you know, that, yeah, process is at random, but in hindsight, everyone always sees direction. So then you have to ask, 
if conscious choice is choosing the direction, which would certainly be true of any intelligent being, particularly in a culture or civilization, we have that choice. We could actually become those pixels of those people in that ascending arrow, like they used to say on Mission Impossible, your mission if you choose to accept it. Uh, is actually is not just uh, a pipe dream or not just a fantasy, but it's one yeah. of the alternatives. The other one would be that we don't make that choice, and then as Dr. Wilson says, evolution takes us somewhere else and likely someplace that we don't want to go, but we wouldn't mm-hmm. see that except in hindsight when it's, when it's maybe too late, so maybe too late, that's a very exactly. different world than than and that's the, the conversation about the six. ten years ago. That's the conversation about the sixth extinction. So, yeah. while this is another thing that I, I would like to also bring up, because this delightful dialogue is taking place within the context of, of course, very true on a political level, a uh, a political maelstrom and a level of chaos that is uh, perhaps heretofore unknown in uh, U.S. history, at least. Uh, And at the same time, I think a lot more importantly uh, is within the context of an ecosystem that is uh, to the eye in chaos. And, you know, that that's a debatable term. It's not literally in chaos. We perceive it as chaotic of the hurricanes and the tsunami that just happened again in Tunisia. I mean, uh, Indonesia. Um, and because of all that's going on, hurricanes in places they haven't ever happened, tornadoes, uh, mass floods, mass fires, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we, this is utterly, completely biblical in proportion and you know you and i know that from the larger perspective we're talking about anthropogenically based uh global warming and not to say the climate isn't changing anyway you know we don't even have to have this discussion we know it's always changing because as the ancient chinese told us kurt the only constant in all of life is change itself so we're not arguing that things would be stable and static. No way. That's not the conversation. But what we have done to exacerbate uh, what would be otherwise a much more gradual progression of this thing we could call climate change or the cycles um, is so serious right now that all conversations, because all computer modeling is completely off with Greenland and the Arctic melting and and methane release. I mean, very serious things. And uh, all of our conversations in some way have to be mitigated by that reality. Your comments? Yeah, well, there's, see, there's no doubt that, see, every system, and certainly ecosystems are a great example. As they've evolved, they have built inherently sets of interconnections which ends up being actually rules to that system so all ecosystems are like interconnected chains and one of the problems then with when things get out of whack they can get out of whack to the point that repair or healing becomes impossible because the breakage between those chains Uh, the different parts of ecosystems and what they do doesn't allow them to replenish, to heal, 
to refurbish themselves and to come back into alignment. So you actually get a process in ecology that's yes. called disclimax, which would be like when someone's in the hospital and their natural ability to heal is completely gone. Uh, their abilities of how their body would help itself are completely come gone. back to homeostasis, in other words. Exactly, and and mm-hmm. so this, you know. A lot of what we've been discovering, first with the biodiversity crisis and then with what was called global warming and then what then became climate change. And when it was when it was biodiversity, then it was really about other organisms. It wasn't about us as it became then about global warming. It became more about us now that we see it in this larger sense of of, of climate change and unpredictable climate change because yes. the rungs and the chains are changing and we don't know what the new rules of new systems will be, yes, then then yes. you're in a situation where you're having to calculate um, effects that may already be out of control or getting out of control, and then you, you probably need to err on being overly cautious at that point so that you don't yes. like, just like the body temperature when it goes above normal, it's got a very small range to where it can actually function uh, you yes. know, before you as as an organism would die. So the environment is is really kind of in that situation, and it's odd for us, or you could say it's fortuitous for us as a species that's trying or at least starting to realize that it needs to make intelligent, conscious choices at the policy level, at the global level, to start to start making those decisions. Now, that's difficult, too, when you're talking about 180-some nations, which would be 186 different volitions or agencies, so you don't have, you, yeah. it's hard to find any consensus. Then if you add that to corporate greed and the greed of dictators and autocrats and oligarchs who are basically, for whatever crazy primate reason, all about amassing mm-hmm. wealth, you know, for what? Yeah. I mean, if the world goes down right. the tubes, what, you know, so that gets What good is it going to be? But that does put us at this tremendous crossroads or this tremendous threshold of of where we're going with all of this. And I think that's one reason that you and like all the people that we work with, and like we're talking about Marianne Williamson, everyone is really now committed to getting the voice of this other point of view out there, which is the one about interconnection and compassion and love and caring and yes. mutuality and co-creation and go go through the whole list because it uh, the stakes are not only high but we don't really know how fast the clock's ticking at least in the sports game yes. you see the clock you know how much time you've got <laughs> for this or that really? in our situation there's so yeah. many variables we 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 don't necessarily even know that Yes, exactly. But, you know, interestingly, that's a bit of a microcosm for the reality of our lives, as they say. You know, we never know. We know we have to pay our taxes every year, but we don't know how long we're going to actually be alive to pay the taxes. You know, death and taxes are the, the, you know, the true inevitabilities. And we don't have a, we don't have a stopwatch on the, um, or a clock on the time that we will live to do the job that we've set out to do either. So in some interesting way, it's a microcosm uh, of the macro. And I, I want to bring forward a comment that Paul Hawken made, the great environmental activist and the author of many books, 
from the ecology of commerce to blessed unrest to most recently draw down the most comprehensive plan to reverse global warming not just to neutralize it a little bit here and there by getting rid of plastics, for instance, which is a big thing, but really literally reverse it, um, change the temperature. No, we cannot come back from the tipping points, which you were basically uh, referring to earlier, but rather uh, still in all change our future by changing the the, the weather patterns, by changing the amount of carbon and global warming gases, of which there are approximately 43 in the atmosphere. And he said, Kurt, I felt were very wise words, which are, is global hap uh, warming happening to us or for us? And if we can turn that corner of recognizing that this is part of the larger feedback loop, that in order to have lived in this high-tech world with the use of fossil fuels as we have done and then commercial agriculture as we have done and all of things, all the extractive processes, et cetera, that we have collectively engaged in, I don't mean you and me necessarily, but we are part and parcel of a system that is destructive. I remember when I realized that I was a teenager when I realized that our entire society was based not on construction and creativity, but on destruction and destroying. And I was alarmed as a 14 or so year old. I went, this is crazy. I can't believe these are adults that are orchestrating this when there's a world of possibility. And this is the path, sort of like you were saying before, that we've chosen to go down. This is madness. And I feel well, like my see, life since then has been seeking to course correct, you know. Yeah, what's very But it's nice interesting when you reflect on Paul's words here. I mean, I've had him on the show actually recently and as co-author of that book, you know, to look at the fact that this is the wake-up call that, um, you know, that everyone has spoken about in one way if we're going to reach the, uh, the acme of our human nature, uh, we better have uh, air and water and soil to nurture us to get to that point. Yeah, and see, it's so interesting, everything that you just said in the context of something, again, that's in David Sloan Wilson's new book. At the end of his mm -hmm. book, he quotes the last paragraph in Darwin's first edition of The Origin of Species. And what Darwin says he says that there's truly understand evolution, there's grandeur, he uses that term, there's grandeur in this oh. understanding of things evolving higher and higher, which he not only says higher and higher, but even to more beauty. Darwin uses that term, oh, that term beauty. God. So then what, what uh, Wilson says is see that Teilhard was also uh, saying that that what's going on is that evolution is about the, the the universe becoming conscious of itself. So it goes in Teilhard stages from geosphere to biosphere and then to, to consciousness, noosphere. which he called noosphere, and then to awaken consciousness, which is the consciousness that cares about everything. And that, mm. you see, is is actually, if you look at it in that, in, from the point of view of that grandeur, 
it's the universe actually creating, this goes back to what you just said, potential managers of its own processes. So if mm. that intelligent being on that planet was truly awake in that sense, would become yes. the manager of all of these systems for climate and pollution oh, so and all of these other things that would need to be in sync, that awakened species would, from a point of view of loving care, be the yes. conscious caretaker of the very environment that it <gasps> evolved from. Now, that's that's grandeur when you think about that. That's grandeur, right. And that also Are you made, I'm breathing time. easier as I'm listening to you speak, Kurt. Yeah. My, I just took a very deep, wonderful sigh of relief. <laughs> no, well, I, I, mean, I very much appreciate that. that. That we could be those gardeners of the universe uh, yeah. because we would see it in that way and we, we would know which way we want to go and we and 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 go those directions. So what's interesting about that and it goes back to again it was actually the last thing you said in your last uh narrative here was you okay. went from talking about that larger level to what it means at the at the individual level because you said that you had this epiphany yes. and this feeling about meaning. So tomorrow it's yes. interesting I'm meeting a bunch of old friends. See we're all in our 70s now and these are all people who they took the direction of business and making a lot of money, and they've all been very successful. But they're all very not good people, and yes. they're kind of wanting to do a check-in with me because of the kind of work I do. They're thinking maybe they'll get a little bit inspired in all these yes. dark times. But when I was asking myself, you know, what can I say That's to great. these people? Who A, they're my friends. B, they're all people who've already committed to business and the corporate world or law or whatever, maybe. And actually what it yeah. is, it's exactly what you said, that they need to ask themselves, particularly at our age, what is a meaningful life? How mm. can I, from here on out, have a meaningful life? And I think what they'll decide, and you said this too, that there's a part of our life that, yeah, it's committed to the details. We've got to go to the grocery store. We've got to pay the taxes. got to pay the sure. bills. So we maybe got to go on and make the living. We can't be a, a Thoreau and suddenly move to Walden. It's not an option. Yes. Right. But there's also a great percentage of our time and our resources that we can start putting toward things for the common good, or take your pick, whatever it would be, oh, yes. that moves you. Oh, yes that would allow you to feel that meaningful, nurturing connection to something, you know, oh, so that you're... Bigger, you're larger than ourselves, right? Exactly. Larger than yeah, ourselves, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, boy, am I right on your experience. path here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I honestly spend a lot of my time engaged in this kind of conversation, Kurt, regarding meaning, because at the end of the day, that sense of connectedness that uh, that births out of that conversation is like none other. And I think that even though we are, of course, searching for love, well, guess what? Maybe it's the meaning we find in love that makes love so exciting. At the end of the day, honestly, it seems like that's really the inner uh, uh, kernel of what the soul's mission is about. And it uses, it sounds funny, but it may use love, it may use relationship, it may use uh, the power of compassion 
to get to that deeper envelope, if you will, inside of it all called meaning. And yeah, if no, you yeah, feel like you've lived right. a meaningful life, right? You know, you can ultimately close your eyes and say, well, I've, you know, as uh, Werner Erhard said, I wanted to read on my epitaph, you know, I'm spent. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I so appreciate funny? I was actually reading a, a poem last night, which came up in a conversation, but it was a poem that said something about it's a spended heart spend at heart, one that's completely spent, that then becomes yes. open to then what can come and fill and all of these other non-egoic and therefore deeper, deeper ways. And, yes, beautiful. Um, and going back to then what you were saying just a second ago, isn't it amazing that Darwin in that last paragraph says yes. there is grandeur to this view of life. That's actually what part of that it. sentence says. There is grandeur to this view of life. And so when you were, you know, having that little epiphany, which we were sharing, and then you were saying, well, it's not unusual to you. You've done that your entire life. But, yeah, uh, yeah so that deep, that deep gut-level feeling of what's meaningful, what, you know, what gives, you know, countenance to our being here, makes some sense of it yes. all. Yes. Uh, comes yes. from that. It comes from the, the give... The, all the levels of give and take call them love with with a person, with art, with nature, uh-huh. with thought, with uh-huh. consciousness, with with just being itself. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I, I'm so glad you quoted that last paragraph of Darwin because it's it's so euphonious. <laughs> it's so harmonious. It, it like it so makes sense because it brings together the the scientist and the poet and philosopher at the same time, you know. And that kind of convergence is what we need more of. And you mentioned Einstein at the beginning and one of, you know, this this seeming division and where there is some between religion and science and at the same time it's we keep finding that the scientists are either deeply religious or certainly spiritual people. And uh, it's a funny, funny rift that occurred. You know, I call it a, a divorce that happened in the Catholic Church many years ago. <laughs> we're still trying to put it back to Humpty Dumpty back together again. Really? But we're making yeah, I some had, progress. I had some you know? friends who, uh, who emailed me that on Christmas Day yesterday they had been stuck with or trying to put up with for a while watching that series on CNN about the popes and they said yes. it was so depressing because it was. so many of the whole history of the popes had been all of these horrible people that they finally they finally turned it off but and, and it, I know I watched that's an interesting no, lesson too because as Wilson points out I mean you can say well Darwin spoke those incredibly lofty and moving words in the last paragraph of the origin of species but he was also a sexist he was also a person who looked yes. down on on native peoples as being less than uh you know so we're all victims yes. of some degree of enculturation in our own time we've seen that even in the the whole me too movement where it's hard to imagine that we had a culture where permission to to you know, to to act in a certain way toward toward a woman was not even thought about being needed to be asked. It seems bizarre. Yes. But yes, yeah, indeed. so we're all. That's yes, also indeed. a part of us is 
conditioning yes. and all the rest. So. Absolutely, it's true. You know, it's funny. I was going to, as I was listening to you talk about your friends that are coming together, I was thinking about, and they've been successful in their respective fields, largely business, and now they're kind of turning to you as, uh, you know, let's say the wise man in the group, <laughs> so, Kurt, now what? Uh, which I love the whole idea of. Um, I was thinking about uh, an old Buddhist idea, which is the idea that we have been born into what is referred to as a precious human birth. That being born human confers something that other species and sentient beings don't quite get, which is this idea of leisure. Leisure, which is supposed to come with the uh, the advent of computing, by the way. But let's forget that for the moment, <laughs> because we have seen that that's not true. But that leisure of a human birth is time, according to the Buddhist perspective, of time to contemplate, time to reflect, time to go deep, time to feel our connectedness to all other sentient life, i.e. to come forward, as we were talking about earlier, into this higher noospheric, you know, place, this idea of enlightenment. So all that you were saying earlier about the Chardin, all, um, and that the science is pointing to this as well, this idea of, of uh, enlightenment that is embedded in the wisdom traditions, especially of the East, is given greater kind of credibility now from a scientific perspective. But, you know, so all of this is good, but that leisure is something that we so need. But to your last point, even Gautama Buddha was said to be a sexist, and he did not want his own wife and daughter to accompany some of their spiritual treks because he felt that they were lesser. So even the Buddha himself, and there's, a, there's some literature about this, about how you know, gender-specific uh, and sexist he was. So wow, yeah, it makes and you scratch it's your easy head. to understand. I think you know from Ken Wilber's integral theory, what's called the Wilber Combs lattice, that it, he just shows very clearly that the vertical experience is always the same, but then it's understood at the horizontal level that you've been enculturated with. That's the lens yes. that you interpret it through, and yes. uh, and that, of course, is why you know a good example. So many awakened spiritual teachers suddenly then make the mistake of declaring themselves an avatar or at worst the messiah or you know yes. they they go they run with that ball too far uh yes. because that's the story that they've been told in their in their culture and uh, just being aware of that is it's always good for us to ask ourselves what is what are the horizontal lens that I'm parsing out my deeper experiences through and um you know some to some extent, they're knowable. To some extent, they're not knowable. But at least it's 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 good to not make that kind of a of, of a blunder that so many we've seen, you know, spiritual teachers who became full of themselves <laughs> because they they ended up thinking it was about them. But that's because you know we come from clan and tribe and king and messiah, that's and right. these are all the stories that our cultures 
have told, you know, so it'd be very That's easy right. to understand that, uh, you know, Buddha and well, all of the great religious leaders had their, their whole enculturated, there's the early parts of the Dalai Lama when he first came west that were homophobic and sexist and, you know, he had to learn himself that uh, yes. those were a cult, that was a cultural lens. So interesting, absolutely. You know, I just, I, there's an, a little bit of an irony that I want to point out first, and then I want to, if we can take a few minutes just to delve into sort of the new human, you know, what we can foresee the more we for, further our own narrative. But as you were kind of saying before, and there's a little irony here, we're recognizing that through sociobiology, through the work of the Wilsons, through the work of neuropsychology, that cooperation is a true uh, means by which we have actually survived. It wasn't by crushing heads of people who were physically um, uh, not as strong as us. It was through, and I love making this point of, it was through learning how to communicate, learning how to smile with each other, learning how to to laugh together. I think humor is one of the greatest survival tools that we have. And all you have to do is ask the Jews in uh, the Holocaust. It's one of the only things that kept them alive during and after, you know, and, and the use of theater and music, you know. But so on one hand, we um, recognize that these are really the tools of survival and of our uh, our growth and our revolution. Um, and on the other hand, it's this narrative, Kurt, that you and I and our our colleagues and friends are working very much to bring to a dominant position in the narrative of society. So even though we're promulgating the idea of cooperation, kindness, compassion, love, friendship, um, social amenity, etc., we still are in that cycle of needing or wanting to dominate the, the narrative for the planet in this direction. So you see that inherent irony. How do we deal with that? Well, part of it is realizing that whenever you have a revolution in awareness, you move from the ideas about that are arising in that new epiphany to the actions that are then implied. And so then when you ask about the actions then implied, you're actually asking what are the new models in social structures or in, in, in civil society that actually sustain a world of these higher values. And so the skill sets that attach to high awareness don't come immediately. So one of the big lessons here is that we're just at the baby stage of matching the skill sets that go with the new emergent consciousness. So even cooperation itself, now you know you're as well as I do from all the work that we've done in group consciousness and cooperative groups and networking and collectives, that we're learning as we go with what it means to actually be skilled at the world of we because we're so yeah. used to um, – being in, in just that world of I or me, I know there's a place in, in my book where I say that, unfortunately, even a lot of spiritual leaders think that we means more people working with me. 
Um, yes. Uh-huh. So we're 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 learning as we go. So that helps us be patient, but it also helps yeah. us realize that that's a time of experimentation. If you look at any revolution, if it's French Revolution, Russian Revolution, go through the whole list. After the change in the mindset, there was a whole period of experimentation, some for the good, some for the bad, the really bad. Uh, yes. in, in what does this mean to live this out in actual social structures, laws, governance, social justice, rules, which any you know, uh, collective uh, you know, group species like Homo sapiens would, would have to do. And so you go through the experimenting with, with what works. Now, another good example would be actually the whole origin of our country. And the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. It's amazing when you go back. There was a program on television about the the Continental Congresses and, and the awareness that Adams and Sam Adams and Franklin and all of the awareness that they had that they were asking questions that no one on earth had ever asked before because they had escaped from European societies where the class you were born in determined what you would become. They now, because they'd gone across an ocean and they bootstrapped themselves up in this new land, they were no longer, their future was no longer determined by class, but was determined by their own self-determination. And they were saying no one else has asked these questions. So then here's what's interesting. I'll say this very, very briefly. So they come up with the Constitution and all of these values, which now are very imperiled. If you look at who Trump's listening to, he's listening to other authoritarians who have no desire for any rule of law or no desire for a Bill of Rights or no desire for, you know, any of this. Yes. You know, so then that's, that's sad. But in the Gettysburg Address, what is it that Lincoln says at the at the end of the Battle of Gettysburg? He says, this war tests whether how long any nation that dedicated itself to being by the people and for the people can long survive. He actually then, that's 1864, which means that's maybe, what, 80 years into the, to the republic? And he's yes. already asking how long, how long could these ideas last? about freedom and a rule of law actually Shh. survive? Wow. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah. Isn't that interesting right yeah yeah yeah. especially in light of what we as you said see today with the affiliations and tendencies of our uh current president yeah uh, (laughs) as he is pretty obviously being Um, right no that's very interesting let's take a moment before we wrap up if it's okay with you to just look at and have the imaginative flight that we're allowed to do based even on the pioneering, no pun intended, thinking of our forefathers who did draft the Constitution. And we can look at the Constitution and also see profound flaws in the attitude it expresses toward women, the attitude it expresses toward blacks. And we, you know, it's just replete with things that today's consciousness, I think, would root out and and really wholly course correct and modify, you know, but that's a different kind of conversation. Nonetheless, they opened the space for a lot of free thinking among us today, and for that I'm 
tremendously grateful because the program, you know, when we're talking about the horizontal, you know, um, has changed. So our horizontal is rather, you know, imbued these days with vertical ideation, if you will, to have some fun with language. Um, but what I wanted to ask you about is this new human. You know, Sri Aurobindo, of course, was one of those who talked about, you know, the super divine consciousness that really could come forth. And he was very politically, as we know, uh, tuned in and spent time in jail because of it, because he was probably seeking to apply these ideas to the larger culture outside the ashram. You know, he really wanted to create uh, a new morphogenetic field, a new narrative for all the subcontinent of India and beyond. So what would you have to say, Kurt, about the inroads that we are making toward creating um, a more benevolent, kinder, more compassionate, more cooperation-based, may I say it, better world? Yeah, I think we we have to ask. It's interesting now. In the past, big steps were always made at a frontier. And now we have to ask, given that we're already a global civilization, I'm not sure where the frontiers are, where the new experiments can happen, where something wholly new, like a new concept of constitutional law that's not full of all the flaws of 18th and 19th century white Western thinking, you have to ask then how, where do those experiments take place? And we, we know that there has to be experimentation with new ways of behavior that parallel the new levels of awareness. Maybe yes. we're stuck with building them from within. We may be because there's certainly no whole new areas that you could go colonize and start over. Uh, there's no place to start over. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I would imagine, I think it probably comes back to what Wayne Teasdale said, if if the definitive revolution is the awakening of our species, and by that he meant turning to the rubric of love, if you just look at it Mm -hmm. bottom line, he was saying looking to the rubric of love and caring, the world that works for everybody, um, all, all of that, that would have to be an internal revolution that then catches the system up with it from within because there are no frontiers where you could go build something entirely new. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, that might come from experimental communities. That's a very good question. Um, Yes. That might, certainly models could come from from those. But I I think these are are very fundamental questions in this process. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. if it can grow from the inside out so that the revolution really is the turning toward love. So love is not just a, a side thing that humans do, but it becomes central. Yes, central. One thing that David Sloan Wilson says is that in his new book that we would have to have global societies that are actually functioning in accordance with how evolution actually works. Now that's an interesting thing for him to say because that then leads to the questions, deeper questions would be a whole other conversation of design principles. You know, in mm-hmm. other words, if we were living according to, you know, if if evolution is actually propelling everything, it would be smart 
to be living according to an understanding of evolution. Otherwise, that would yes. be dumb. Right. right. But usually what, what, what that would imply is that there are certain design criteria which have to yes. do with what it means for everyone to be taken care of, for everything to be thought of, yes. nothing to be left yes. out, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So th- that, mm-hmm. that's a whole conference in itself. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> exactly. But that that's a very, you know, so we're doing sort of the, uh, <laughs> up till now, we've been really more historical in reviewing, you know, both, you know, our cultural biases and agendas as well as biological but now we're coming to a point maybe we'll be doing this in our next show our next segment of what does the new world look like what you know or you know um um what god my i'm blanking out on our dear uh german born uh teacher uh the power of now who wrote the the new oh, earth. Yeah, yeah Eckhart you know, Tolle, yeah. yeah. Friendly with him, right, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. You know, in the phrase, the new earth, maybe this is, you know, the kind of new level of beingness that we're talking about. And I think that because of the nature of the brain um, receiving its signals from the mind, which if we're lucky is receiving signals from the soul, uh you know, we're beginning, we go into the affirmative space. And, you know, as you know, I have that quote inside um, my, uh, all of my emails, Kurt, that is by Buckminster Fuller. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And from I, I like thinking of that from a neurophysiological point of view as well, which is that, you know, the the mind doesn't really deal with the negative. It, it can talk about, sure, you can critique. But when you start to envision what you want, you're forming new neural networks, which is actually contributing to the manifestation, you know, the realization of what it is you want to see in the world. And, yeah, and um, that's actually how evolution works anyway. Yeah, if you look that's at how right. evolution actually does work, uh, consciously yes. and unconsciously, that that's exactly what happens. Before we close out, I was going to mention, because you mentioned at the beginning we haven't gotten back to it, but our next big event about all of this Please. in New York City, people can find at uh, www.unity.earth. And it's February 2nd at the United Palace, which is a 3,500-seat theater in New York City. And we have an amazing amazing. program of um, seeing the world from outer space, narrated by music and song and dance, and the deepest places you can go and seeing the grandeur of the planet and celebrating uh, unity in the context of all of the messages of the wisdom traditions and uh, 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 Mitchell's one of the one of the hosts uh, along with a bunch of us who are actually from friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences among so many other yes. groups so check out uh, unity.earth so you'll know about that concert and then also just so people will know I was thinking when we were talking about you know how we make steps toward this direction we and again this is another collective that Mitchell's a part of will be hosting a a uh, conscious business summit in early March with 
a number of big worldwide groups. And the reason I mention it is that they're they're looking toward asking these same big questions. Just how do yeah. we just not be fiddling with the fine tuning of the status quo, but how can we move toward these bold new understandings of how we're in sync with with how evolution's working and how the world's trying to get toward a cooperative model. So there is a lot going on. And so uh, if you watch uh, Mitchell's newsletter and just uh, check out the things that are going on, there's be some great experiences. Oh, that's beautiful, Kurt. I'm so glad you came full circle. I was going to invite you to, but you did, and I'm so glad because I want people to be able to really tune in to all the good that's going on and all the good that you have helped to coalesce. It's, I'm I stand in awe of what you do relative to the writing and the magazines and, uh, you know, everything of putting together, coalescing the coalitions, I like to call it. And it's um, it's very impressive. So, well, thank you so much for all of your good work and uh, coming on today again and talking with our audience about your uh, your perspectives, and I, I just love them and understanding altruism from this biological and evolutionary perspective, as well as cooperation. And these are things I'm talking about all the time, and it's really nice to have our audience hear it from a scientist instead of just um, a wild-eyed thinker like me. So, yeah, and to know it's very you. interesting. The first chapter of David Sloan Wilson's new book is called "Dispelling the Myth of Social Darwinism," and just think about it. We have been in that trap that survival of the fittest means competition and shark tank and over my dead body yes. and, and instead of cooperation. What a gigantic error that was made. Oh, and all God. of now that mainstream science understands that this, this was an error, that, uh, that that's only that the so lowest big. level of selection. And the minute you it go through so groups big. and levels of groups, then it selects for cooperation so anybody with a good heart it means evolution is on the side of your heart it's not a wind blowing in your face of something that you're trying to fight walking up into the wind but the wind's at our backs and we really have to understand that that is so big there aren't words to describe what a 180 degree shift that is in tacking on uh, our sailboat you know, spaceship Earth, right? Amen. I mean, it's complete. Well, thank you again, my friend, for all thank of you. your good work thank and you. Uh, intelligence and thoughtfulness. It's so helpful and inspiring. So, um, wow, <laughs> this is good. <laughs> I'm happy about it all and glad to be part of it with you. So, yep. we will continue on. Have a good on. sleep. Sleep well tonight, everybody. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Happy New Year. I'll yeah, talk you, to you too. Soon. Happy New Year, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Kurt Johnson. Bye bye. Kurt Johnson, scientist, author, former monk. As you hear, they have all, I keep talking about coalescing, have coalesced inside him and they've been integrated. Uh, the subjective, the objective, the inner, the outer. And we didn't really expand upon. Uh, Ken Wilber's Four Quadrants, which was sort of right behind all that we were speaking. And uh, another time, uh, Kurt and I will go into greater depth about that because it really helps to articulate the different levels of our daily experience, and um, both from the subjective and objective points of view. And 
our society that we've created as well. So it, and it's the, the I-we interplay as well. We'll do that another time. But most important was what Kurt was saying, I feel, of everything, even though our our dialogue went down many really interesting uh, tributaries, is this mainstream scientific uh, sea change, uh, to continue the metaphor, of that it is not uh, this old idea of survival of the fittest that we attribute to Darwin saying, step on people's heads to get ahead, bub, you know, bully in the schoolyard, but rather the literally the opposite, that it's our ability to get along and get on with each other. And, you know, I like to emphasize through our social graces, our humor, our playfulness, uh, through smiling and laughing together, through that that uh, look in our eye of love, that beam that we all know of having positive intent, of dropping down into our hearts and into our bodies and out of our head brain at times so we can connect with each other on deeper, more meaningful levels. Uh, this is what has literally kept us alive and going as a group, as a clan, as a tribe, and the more we realize that, the faster perhaps we can come together and realize that we're all on the same side, not on different sides. And uh, I, for one, am using media, as you well know, as one of the places I seek to deliver and literally broadcast this message. And another place, um, as Kurt was saying, he's getting together with his business friends, and I think this is a place where it so needs to happen, this awakening, is in business. As I've said so many times, it's been the business world that has been used to drive us to this point of the abyss, literally, because of the drive of economics and of um, winning, you know, at the expense of everything, anything and everything. And I think it's going to be by bringing this consciousness that Kurt was so eloquent in describing into that same, very same business world and kindness and love and compassion and cooperation that will be able to most powerfully turn it around. Not government. Government's important, and it needs to be a stepping stool along the way. But it looks like business is really the driving force behind this. So that's just, you know, my thought and my opinion um, and something that I'm working at inside a better world among my other uh, irons in the fire, so to speak. Well, listen, I want to just thank you all for tuning in today. Again, I spent the uh, the whole show today with my dear friend Kurt Johnson, scientist, author, former monk. His work on interspirituality uh, has to be seen. If you go to our website at betterworld.tv, you can uh, find the link to his latest article in Cosmos Journal on the subjects that we've been talking about today. It's really worthwhile. His work is truly profound in so many ways. And I really wish you would take advantage of learning more about his work and him. And uh, remember that we, too, are a nonprofit, a 501c3, so we were able to survive and thrive based on your kindness 
here we go again, right? Cooperation um, and appreciation of what it is we do here. So if you do want to make donations, if you are in a way positioned to do so, email me for details at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net, or if you're interested in any of the coaching services, both uh, personal and executive coaching, biofeedback, stress management, and we've got a series of really healthy, organic types of um, products that are available as well, as well as energy balancing. So on that note, I want to just thank you all. Go to our website if you're not yet getting our newsletter at abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv. And I look forward to seeing you all, well, is it next year? Absolutely. God bless.